Welcome everybody, my name is Anna-Kasa Kultima and this is GamesNow podcast. GamesNow is an open lecture series run by Aalto University covering multiple trends and developments in the field of games and play. Since 2013, we have invited speakers from all over the world to share their insights on the most recent trends in games. This podcast is looking back on those topics. Looking back. On the Looking Back series of Games Now podcast, we are revisiting our past lectures and reflecting with the speakers what has happened between now and then. On the sixth episode of Looking Back Games Now podcast, we take a deep dive into the world of licensed games and, interestingly, HR. In December 2015, Jonas Lakso took the stage as a production lead at Next Games, discussing the process behind their AMC collaboration on the Walking Dead brand. Jonas is now the chief people and culture officer at Next Games, and he has been building teams since 2008. In 2020, he changed from game production to HR to focus on the bigger picture of enabling the creative work of game production teams. This interview was recorded already late 2022, but we haven't heard too much about what Next Games is currently working on, so we're fine in exploring the thoughts from last year. But before we go, let's check some messages from the friends of Games Now. Hi, this is Chris from Metacore Games. We have been very excited to collaborate with Games Now. Don't forget to visit our website, metacoregames.com and check it out our latest open positions. Please come and get your seat. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hi, this is Tato from Future Play. We've been great friends with games now over the years and I'd like you to know that Future Play is always looking for talent. So go to futureplay.fi and check the latest positions. In the meanwhile, I hope you enjoy another insightful podcast. Welcome back to games now, Jonas. How are you doing? Thank you. Good, good to be here. Um, no, I'm, I'm doing well. It's been a very eventful year for me, really. And uh, things are now finally starting to settle and looking forward to, you know, how, what are we going to be doing next year? How was the pandemic for you personally? It's been, it's been kind of weird times now. For me personally, and I, I feel very guilty for saying this, I think it's been pretty good. Like uh, I wasn't doing mentally great, like when the pandemic hit, and, and it really helped me to be able to focus more on on being at home, learning how to be alone, and not not having to meet quite so many people on on a daily basis. Prioritize your your kind of own well being. Yes, yes, precisely. So yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I feel like it's been a very welcome change, and uh, I'm, I'm now enjoying like being mostly at home during the working week. Hmm, that sounds fantastic. So I guess we kind of learned some things as a game industry during the pandemic years. Yeah, like um, we, we had been talking about um, remote working, like in in all of my you know prior studios and also at Next Games for like for all time. It, it's always been a topic, and we've always felt like it's it's difficult. Uh, with, with Next Games, we had this um, policy of like you're you're free to work from home, like when it makes sense, as as long as your manager agrees. We were avoiding Fridays and, and Mondays as, as remote days, but like otherwise didn't really care. And uh, when we when we had to make the switch, um, we just 
changed overnight, basically. And as, as I'm, I'm sure you've heard from basically most companies, mm-hmm. you know, there were no issues. <laughs> Everything just worked. Um, like after the first year, we started to see problems with people's sense of belonging. And, right. Uh, but like some trust issues started creeping up and what have you, like, like the kinds of things that you run into when, when you don't see people like on a daily basis and, and yeah. you don't quite get to know them as well. But like uh, the actual work, I don't feel it has really suffered at all. Oh, that's good to hear. So you had our lecture at Aalto's uh, Games Now lecture series in 2015. So it's seven years. But before we go back to that time slot... Uh, just uh, tell us a little bit briefly, like what what are you actually working on right now? What what what's the thing that you, is on your hands now? So me, uh, I'm I'm now the chief people and and culture officer at Nest Games. So like from the Netflix perspective, I'm the HR lead uh, for for Helsinki. And uh, obviously, this is a new thing for me. So I was a producer, uh, so always some sort of a production role. Like up until the pandemic hit, when I decided to accept, when I was asked to apply uh, to the uh, opened uh, position in, in HR, which felt like a weird shift at the time, um, especially considering that like my previous burnouts have all been due to personal issues. <laughs> so, like jumping to work on those full-time might not sound like the best idea, but um, I, I found it very, very fulfilling. Like I'm, I'm now actually now able to work on the problems that, that used to cause me so much stress and it, it's it's it, it feels very good like um on, on a weekly basis i keep waking up uh, expecting to feel like maybe I, i want to get back into being more hands-on in making the games but right. um, it just hasn't happened so sure. I, i feel very content in building these teams instead and like looking back i am i'm feeling that perhaps that that's like what i've always been after like even though like there has been a lot of like product focus in the in the past Right. It's it certainly is a kind of interesting shift in the titles, uh, and and I, I haven't heard a lot of people doing that. But I guess it also gives you this kind of a upper hand to have the empathy towards the, the team people, um, so you kind of know how the daily production works and how the hands-on happens. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm often thinking about like what were the things that caused me so much stress, like working <laughs> as a team lead in in, in games, um, like uh, in, in my years as, as a producer. Um, and uh, I, I think it's very useful to like have have that perspective and like understand like what are the things that people really need in their day to day, and um, a lot of the things that um, I was frustrated at not getting from HR. So now I'm right. in a position to deliver on those and i feel it's 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 pretty powerful obviously now we have this whole other shift going on with integrating with netflix and uh you know let's see how that all pans out in the end mm-hmm. but like, they have the same thinking that like the games hr probably needs to be somewhat different from like a generic tech company uh, right HR. right so. yeah it's a it's an interesting time that we're living in because of these kind of uh tv production uh trends now going towards also games um it's been an ongoing development so let's kind of let's jump to the year 2015 sure. i really i really like the kind of the beginning of your talk where where you are explaining uh the details of this kind of ip work uh so let's listen to that clip and then come back to that sure 
Um, let's take a look at um, licensed games in US iPhone top grossing games top 100. So when you're thinking about licensed games, um, there tends to be uh, the assumption that it is somehow an easy way to get to the top of the charts and get tons of attention. But if you look at the actual charts, that isn't really the case. Um, up here, we've got all the games in the US iPhone top grossing games top 100 list uh, as of 22nd November um, this year. So what, a week ago, two weeks ago. And um, what you can see here is that we got um, games based on other games. We got sports titles, something I'm calling mega brands. So basically uh, brands that are so big that they, that they can't be nailed down to a single source anymore. So fans for these mega brands may be coming from anywhere people are familiar with them, even if uh, they are not fans themselves. And uh, if you can count to 18, you're going to notice that uh, there are 18 games on the, on the chart. So that's 18 licensed games out of 100. So that means that 82% of the top 100 grossing games um, are there on their own merits and not thanks to a license of any sort. And arguably, some of these games even don't really need the license. For example, Hearthstone um, is not popular because it's based on Warcraft, but certainly Blizzard's marketing muscle has helped there. Uh, what we can see here, however, is that the game series really work. The majority of these licensed games are based on other games. And this just means that um, these games have an established fan base that's ready to pick up uh, whatever new you're putting out. So you have to do much less work to sell the game's idea. People already know what it's about, so it's easier to pick up. Um, what may be surprising is that movies are nowhere to be seen, except for very long-running movie series, Star Wars, Marvel, and the games are not based on any specific movie. They're rather based on the whole mega brand of Star Wars or the Marvel properties. And these IPs transcend their original medium. Uh, people don't really think about the Marvel movies when they're thinking about the Marvel Universe. They may be coming in from whatever angle happens to be familiar to them. So if this is the case, why are studios interested in licensing a property to make a game about it in that case? Uh, this impulse can come from either the party owning the property or the game studio that's going to develop or publish the game. License holders often see games as part of marketing, especially in the past, but even today. Uh, they see it as added exposure, just more ways for fans to interact with the brand. And it's all part of the marketing push to get as many people into spending money into the brand. Uh, and brand here being typically a movie, but it could be something else as possible. But game studios developing these games see this the other way around. Uh, they believe that the known brand, let's say a movie, uh, with its own marketing push is going to get them over the barrier of unfam unfamiliarity um, on the download charts, uh, helping them to stand out from the crowd. So you effectively loan a name so that people pay attention to you. Um, but today we don't really care about this whole games as marketing angle. That doesn't really relate to making successful games. The brand as exposure angle is worth talking about at length in our case. Um, licensing does not guarantee success, but it does give you a plan you can follow. And it is that plan that I'm going to be covering today. Uh, no doubt. 
if we had shipped the exact same game as we did a couple of months ago without the Walking Dead brand, I don't think we'd be anywhere. This is the case even though I believe that the game is actually very good and worth the player's continued time and attention. Uh, and the best case scenario would be that we would need to build the game for at least a year to see if we were able to incrementally grow the audience to see if we could finally get anywhere or not. Mm. Speaking of going anywhere, let's consider degrees of success. As of this month, Next Games is 65 people plus, plus contractors, uh, bringing the total to somewhere around 75. We can't afford to wait a year to see if a game is going to work or not. Our staff is burning through a lot of money in wages every single month. We need to know that we are doing the right things to be successful every single month. So this means that big studios have to make big bets. We can't be content if we are unable to hit, let's say, the US top 50 grossing, which we did with No Man's Land uh, a month after launch. Uh, obviously, staying up there in the top 50 or preferably even higher, continuing to be relevant is the real challenge. Uh, but getting there in the first place gets you a position in the race. Then we can go to work. We could have, of course, taken a smaller risk uh, with No Man's Land, uh, not putting in so many man months. I did a quick estimate, which put it um, around 400 man months to make the releasable game. Uh, but then we would run the risk of not being worthy of the brand promise. We believe in high quality at Next Games and so-called high production values. And essentially, our games should feel like premium products, something worthy. So for us, it really wasn't any choice. We had to go big. So to get there, to be successful, what you have to do in order to make a successful game based on a licensed property, you have to be good, you have to be true, and you have to find the right market. Um, before we go on, I feel it's important that you know me to properly judge what I'm going to tell you today and uh, maybe put it in the right context and figure out where I'm coming from. I have a college-level polytechnic um, education on something we call design management way back in 2001. Uh, design management is all about brand building, marketing and communication, directing creative work, in other words, which um, very much applies to producing video games. Uh, I then worked with other people's brands for years. I started with Finlandia Vodka uh, and then moved on to making insurance, advertising, politics, cruise lines, Canon consumer imaging, uh, so cameras, printers and scanners. Uh, a side note about how the world changes. When I jumped ship from marketing at Canon to making video games, that felt like a very dangerous leap. Uh, back then, Canon was an extremely stable company, and games certainly are not. They still are not. Uh, but then the same year I jumped, which was 2007 to 2008, the iPhone happened, and digital camera sales just evaporated. Suddenly, it made much more sense to focus on content uh, instead of shipping physical products. So yeah, the iPhone happened, I jumped to games. Um, I didn't start with mobile, though. Um, in games, I've worked with um, big license holders and in three different studios, Bugbear, Remedy and Next Games. I've shipped a reinterpretation of a classic loved franchise, Ridge Racer Unbounded. Um, touring with the game, by the way, I actually dreaded that I might get punched by an angry fan 
while I'm very proud of what we did with Unbounded, we certainly went down a different trail with our own take for the series. Um, my first studio, Bugbear, had a successful game series, series which we actively worked with uh, on expanding, called Flatout. Um, I've pitched a dozen or so game and movie and TV show, show and personality and sports licenses. Uh, typically, when you want to pitch something, you have to go pretty deep into the, uh, into the product, working on the product vision and the high-level design uh, to even get a shot at a deal, even if the project never comes through. Um, over the last year, I've worked on one of the biggest things on TV right now, AMC's The Walking Dead, and helped deliver a successful game based on that series, The Walking Dead No Man's Land. So, to begin with, your game has to be good. Making a good game should be obvious, but far too often you see studios putting together whatever questionable content to seize an opportunity on a property that they've managed to secure. This is the reason for the low expectations on the quality of licensed games. No amount of brand appeal can make up for failings in interaction. It's very easy to see why this happens. Getting any sort of license is very difficult. It's hard to reach the right people to even get to discuss your licensing ambitions, and then to get them to agree to a meeting, people are rarely willing to sign out their properties without knowing who they're actually dealing with. Then you have to convince them that you have a good case to even start discussing the possibility. This is mostly on the strength of your team and a proven track record. Very likely you won't have anything at hand to convince them with. And then if you get that far, then you negotiate. Licensing terms can be very complex. Uh, there are often more parties than just the two most obvious one in, ones involved. If the property you're after is popular to any degree, there are already existing deals in place that have to be taken into account. The terms are likely some combination of cash and royalties and different kinds of actions you're required to take, such as marketing initiatives. Um, and somewhere along the way, you also need to start developing the game. Unless you can dedicate people to handle the deal, the licensing deal, without any effect on the people actually developing the game, being able to focus on the game itself can be next to impossible. When the deal is finally in place, your game should already be pretty far along. Uh, thus, the licensing versus making games. They are competing for your attention. Then, when you are deep in development, um, it can turn out that the people you've been dealing with when getting the deal in place are different from the people actually overseeing the production. You can run into all sorts of trouble with the new people feeling like they need to leave their mark on the game once they've finally joined the project, all in the name of the license. We did not have these issues with The Walking Dead. AMC has very good people in proper positions taking care of things, and we at Next Games can afford to do the same, all without hampering the team making the game. All right. So your title of your talk was uh, The Journey to No Man's Land, and I think that you've mm -hmm. self-titled it again to making a successful game based in, on a license, and then mm -hmm. how to best use an existing narrative to deliver a game. Mm -hmm. So I, I think your talk is really fantastic, and it goes to details to the uh, to the kind of uh, Walking Dead uh, No Man's Land projects, uh, different choices that you had. But, you know, it's been seven years since that game was launched. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, like the things that you were discussing, they they do sound really, um, I guess, general lessons. But like, just to briefly go back to specifically on this uh, this kind of a um, snippet, is that do they still hold? They do sound like uh, great lessons for anyone yeah, to really embark. Cringe, cringe at anything. I think it's it, <laughs> it, it, it's it's true, true enough, um, and. Um, like, like, there's an anecdote I like to, to tell people about the Netflix deal, which I feel applies here. Like when uh, Temu, our CEO, like had had started the, the very initial discussions on on becoming acquired by Netflix, like he then approached the members of the management team, me myself included, on, on like how do we feel about this? Mm. Like does this make sense? And um, you know, I was just. Um, dumbfounded like why are we even questioning this because it makes make makes so much sense to me because our, our real focus has been from the get-go and this, this has been codified like in the company vision and mission um, to deliver the the best games based on global entertainment properties so yes mm. generally tv and movies well tv really these days um and um you know on netflix being the, the biggest streamer around um the, the currently some math on whether Disney has maybe catched up, but I'm still going to call it the biggest uh, name in streaming. And um, like they have managed to uh, then expand or move into produ- producing their own properties and not, not just licensing stuff um, as they used to in, in the beginning. And like when they had made the decision to jump into games, um, like I, I can't think of a more fitting place for us. Like um, mm. we always felt like our our special source has been in, in really trying to understand the property like thoroughly uh, and to understand like how to turn this into a successful game. And um, to me, th- these days I would condense it to understanding the, the, the fan experience. So like, we want the game to be a, a, like a proper part of, of that experience. And I feel like that that's uh, where the potential gains are, like with in any properties, be it the Netflix's or, or somebody else's, in that like your 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 product has to be like an actual part of, of the property. And, and mm. if, if you can't see it and sell it as such, uh, then the fans won't buy it either. And I really feel like that that's what we managed to do very well with, uh, with uh, No Man's Land. And also our world, our, our other Walking Dead title, like the fan integration was done to, I feel to this day um, in, in many areas, like um, in a way that, that simply has not been done before. Right. Like, like when we first started discussing with the the, the Walking Dead um, TV show, oh, sorry, the, the, not TV show, the, the talk show, um, which I don't think had happened at this point of, of, the, of the talk, um, uh, we initially thought that well, they won't even talk to us, like um, like we because like you know we're not the actors who they want mm. in the show or whatnot. But then we found a way to make it happen and, and make it feel re- like relevant content. Like the talk show host created their own character into the game, and then you know they followed on that character's progress in the game, like in, in later segments, and it, it ter- turned out great. Or like when we we decided that we would want, we wanted to try having the the show cast. Um, do some of our ads for the game and uh you know there's many ways this this could just backfire and be very really awkward and what have you but then we managed to find out that that several people in the cast actually played the game and they were very enthusiastic to be be part of the marketing and um, you know 
that, that that's the kind of um like uh connection that, that you can't really buy like it, it, it doesn't work that way like you have to find those those real connections and, and actually matter and, and then then um you can have the opportunity to do something like this which will feel meaningful to the fans yeah and, and i very strongly still believe in in all yeah. that and it just it, doesn't just just happen like you have to really consciously go go for it and, and build yeah. things uh, from the ground up uh, to to get to that point in the 2015 talk you already emphasized quite a lot of the fact that the fans will notice if something is kind of your own interpretation of the of the world of the tv show uh, maybe some of the listeners haven't followed uh walking dead's kind of full production so what we were referring to was the talk show where the the actors were going through that just just uh, briefly fill that up that what what was the kind of the entire universe of the things that people saw from the tv yeah yeah right so um like when we started working the game the walking dead was by far the biggest show on earth like nothing <laughs> came close like especially in, in in the us and well it it was big like up until the very last season which i don't actually know if it's wrapped or not yet if it's, yeah, it's not been a long time yet, Then, yeah. then it's about to wrap right now. <laughs> But anyway, um, uh, and uh, you know, uh, at its heyday, it was so popular that like they had a separate talk show where they would gather, you know, uh, cast and crew members to discuss the episode that had just aired. And yeah. you know, that that talk show on its own was a top top rated show in, in the right. US, The Talking Dead. And uh, yeah, it, it's um, we haven't really seen anything quite like it since. Like I feel like the the TV uh, streaming um, scene has become so fractured that um, it, it's very difficult for anything to quite gain so much foothold and like share of mind as 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 what, what The Walking Dead had at the time. Like maybe from like a more recent shows, well, Stranger Things is is, is very popular, mm-hmm. but. Um, I don't know. Since Game of Thrones, I don't think we've really seen anything quite like it. And again, well, Walking Dead was much bigger than that um, as, as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, like I, I don't think that that means that that you should stop trying. So, like you, you need to create something that people really feel connected to and they want to mm. discuss, like say on on TV. Yeah. So, so basically. You you were kind of mentioning in this snippet of the lecture that um, if I understood it correctly, that you do do need to do a lot of research for the IP for the TV show, even in the pitching phase. That you you, you don't even know if you're getting the deal and uh, going into the production of the game, but you have to know the IP quite intimately at that point already, and then move on from that. I, I just don't see that that you you can have success with a Like if you're doing it the other way around, which is that, that you build a game first and then you figure out an IP and you more or less slap that IP on it. Like you can have maybe more direct success, but, but look, to have lasting success, like um, No Man's Land is still out there. It's still making money. It's still a profitable product. And uh, mm. like we didn't expect it to go on for this long. Like we were <laughs> thinking maybe a couple of years. <laughs> so, uh, But it, it, it didn't really hit its stride until like one year in roughly. Mm. But um. Yeah, I, I just don't believe that that you you ever should do it the other way around. Like, mm. uh, of, of course, the problem is that like it's it's expensive to like try to figure out like all of this stuff before you start building or pitching anything. Yeah, uh, it, 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 there's like a number of things that that are more important than others. So like, um, you don't have to care about like the details of the 
property really like uh, nobody's gonna care like if your prototypes i don't know colors are slightly off or whatever yeah but but they are going to care like if if you're not going for the right emotions so Mm -hmm. um like for all the like this very clinical talk of like um you know market groups and focus groups and uh cost of marketing what have you it always comes back to emotions and that's why people are like consuming like these different media properties like that's why they are drawn to them and Mm. uh, you need to be tapping into those same same emotions or it's just not gonna work yeah Um, the shorthand that we use um is usually verbs so i can't remember if i talk about them in, in in the 2015 talk but like um for games, because games are interactive, the verbs are extremely important. So like you, you, you need to make sure that like your verbs, like what, what the player is actually doing in the game, lines up with what, what they yeah. expect from the property. You did mention that in the, in the talk. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really interesting approach to kind of understanding how to map the experiences together yeah uh, like game designers they, 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 they always talk about verbs like um it's like their, their bread and butter but um you know like then understanding how they line up with the properties is i feel the mm. difficult bit and I, i'm not saying it's it's always easy like like sometimes these things are are very difficult like i remember like i'm at, at one point in, actually at, at least two points in my career I, i've been working on pitching for um the fast and the furious for projects <laughs> that never went anywhere um <laughs> And, you know, uh, they're, they're all about um, the notion of family. And like, okay, how, yeah. how do you build this into a, what's going to be some sort of a car game, mm. a driving game. And, uh, you know, the the property owners feel like it's, it's actually all about the family. And that's mm. that's why the property is so so popular everywhere. Like it's right. one of the very few like truly global properties, which, which really work mm. uh, everywhere around the world. And, you know, like how to tap into that while building some sort of a car game. Yeah. was not you know immediately obvious in in any way yeah the genre of car games might not have the the kind of the notion of family too much in the in the no. narratives and like, again it's, it's easy to do it like on a superficial level like mm. you can you know just just use the word family everywhere whatever um you can <laughs> i guess throw in some some sort of social mechanics something something but like uh, the, the problem is that like it, it has to be genuine so like uh, the entire concept needs to be built around this this very ambiguous um, concept of, of, of family or mm. it won't bring through and it won't really work. Right. So how, how was it like the, the move from the AMC uh, uh, collaboration to Netflix collaboration? It's stranger things. Was it, was the process same or similar or was it like particularly different? Yeah, like obviously a lot of different organizations. Um, I wasn't part of the the Stranger Things team at the time, so I want to know things from the um, outside about um, what like all of these big companies now do very well these days. And like AMC was the, like one of the first ones to to go that way. Is that they have hired game industry veterans to really run like all of these interactive efforts, so that they they have people who understand how games are built and how game teams think. Yeah. Um, in in order to like not make these mishaps. Um. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the key thing with, um, like an ongoing property is that, um, you need to, you need to have an understanding with the key creatives. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all, um, 
in, in the know of like exactly who, uh, who was um, involved in the creation of like our Stranger Things um, game, like from from the Netflix side. But I do know that, that we have been talking with the you know the key creatives and like they mm. like there, there's usually some some very high up people who need to sign off on everything and you know they are going to be judging like whether you're being true to the uh, property or not. And um, yeah, I, I don't think that it, it, it was a very different process per se, but perhaps mm. with the um, uh, exception that like when we jumped on Walking Dead, it was already massive. It was already extremely well established. I think our first season in game was five mm. and uh, Stranger Things has not been around that long. It's still growing. Yeah. Like, yeah. The new seasons are, are, are beating uh, uh, the viewing records of the old ones. Mm. And um yeah, like the whole property is, is still growing, and on on the other hand, I feel like that there's more space there because the it, it hasn't been as as explored as as uh, Walking Dead was already by the time when we jumped on board. So the fan expectations are not in the same spot at this point. Yeah, I think that that's fair to say, and also like of, of course the um the fan fan demographic has, is very different. So like mm. we, we need to understand like, who are we making this game for. So you know, Stranger Things fans are may not be the same as Walking Dead fans. Mm. And um, obviously, these are both very big brands, so the, the demographic is also very wide. But there's always like a core of like um, who are you? Who are you making this for? Like um, w- what are the people who find this? Like more appealing than the others, and then you know that that core then brings along other people who, for one reason or another, they like to think of themselves as as being in that same group. Um, and of course, like we need to understand that. And uh, you know, both AMC and Netflix being massive media corporations, they they have a lot of research on on on, mm-hmm. on the people watching their properties. So we then obviously get access to all of that. And that helps a lot, but again, it's it's generally not game specific, and and we need to find you know the players of games like in that group in in order to make something that um, resonates with them. So I've heard that there is a brand bible for those kind of things. So it, was this the same kind of thing that you got like a stack of papers <laughs> explaining all sorts of different things that the brand is consisted from. Uh, uh, from the AMC and then Netflix, like how does that work with uh, TV shows? Uh, usually, yes, but like then, then like the, these brand books are or, or guides. They're very focused on you know creating more of the same content while staying true to the tone. So they yeah. are they created for the needs of the TV production company, right? So you know, like our people then need to go through that that massive stack of notes and then like identify like which areas here will pertain to what we are building for the games um, yeah but like usually like we have very unique problems like um, i remember from walking dead like one of our biggest issues was like finding like acceptable um terms for all of the various currencies that you need in a modern mobile game and um you know for various reasons like the different creatives were not uh, a feeling like many of our initial choices and like we had to like try to find like okay like what would people in this world use for you know buying stuff or what would they use for uh, building stuff and uh, and so forth like what would make sense in tv context and then like apply a lens and, and feel like okay, okay like what's the shorthand for this in, in in a mobile game that people would a get without ex- explaining it, it to death and, and be like um accept like in in, in that context mm. what what were the choices in the end i i, I can't remember like <laughs> with the 
uh, like one of the biggest discussions had to do with the the the, the in-game currencies. So the, the you know the, the soft currency and the hard currency. I think with hard we ultimately went with gold. I wanna say. <laughs> Uh, but the, the, there was a long for a long time when I feel like that was still bullets, like, mm-hmm. because thinking was that okay, like um, ammunition is going to be valuable in this world. Yeah, I, but, I have this you know, recollection of bullets. Something I played it when it came out. So, yeah. so. or it might have been that we used it somewhere else. But um, then I I've seemed to recall that we then then had like mix-ups that uh, well people were like afraid that okay the characters are shooting so well they don't uh, want to be yeah. spending their hard-won bullets mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's it, it can be very confusing. So mm-hmm. you know um, already generally accepted um, shorthand and symbols are, are usually the best best way of um, going yeah. about it. Now people just accept stuff um, if you don't draw too much attention to it. <laughs> But then I, I think it, it is good to spend time on like okay, like are there opportunities where we could like exceed those expectations and have something that the fans really recognize and immediately value. Yeah, to make the experience a bit deeper. From yes. from the can yeah, so yeah, so the the big news for from the recent past has been the Netflix acquisition, and I I tried to find the Stranger Things Stranger Things game from the App Store, but I couldn't find it. So is it is it going to be elsewhere in the near future? How do yeah, we no, access no, that, the game? That, yeah, that, that's that's no uh, that's no secret. So yeah, we um, took it down from from the app stores in in order to re-release it on the Netflix platform later this year. Um, and uh, yeah, that that that's the plan. So the games are moving to the Netflix platform, and um, that's where we will be operating in. In the future. Kind of from the layman's perspective, isn't that a slightly bummer timing because of the fact that uh, the the kind of the which is the season like is it the th- third season or? It's I just... should know. Um, I, I don't know. Um, so, so, yeah. <laughs> But the current uh, season just yeah. um, aired in in or came available mm. to Netflix. Uh, well, few well, well, few weeks you, ago, a few months ago already. So, but uh, and, and sure. anyway, so shouldn't this be the time when uh, the fans would play the game? Well, yes and no. So, like, um, obviously, we'd we'd love to use the. You know all the extra attention that like the, the currently on season would, would get us, and like that mm. that's what we always saw with The Walking Dead that like people are playing more when the show is on. It's it's yeah. plus that because like it's occupying a much larger share of mind. So like you're, it's just easier to keep up with the game. It feels like you're sort of like part of like what's happening in the now, like when when the show is also on. And it's harder to justify yourself. Like, why do you keep playing this game when the show is not on? But obviously, the um, the sort of the promise and the opportunity that like these um, media companies are seeing with games is that like, the game can can keep the property timely and relevant when the show is not on. Like, um, you know, it takes a year, two years to make another season of of one of these big shows, and um, that that's a very long time for fans to you know keep it top of mind and yeah. a game can help with that like being being something that that does not go off the air yeah. and it, it, it should give you like um an opportunity to uh spend time with the property and you know express yourself um make it your own like games are great at that sort of thing and interactivity brings brings things much closer than like passively watching them on the screen mm. So that's what what we feel is is okay in the arrangement. Like uh, we're we're happy to come out like between seasons. Obviously, it would have been ideal to be able to hit the season launch, 
Hmm. Uh, but you know, t- timelines are, are very, very long. Like the game yeah. production timelines are two, three, four years. And uh, in, in this case, we were going through a, a number of redesigns, and it was just a very difficult time to launch anything. So we decided against. So is it is it like live operations that can then be more active uh, when the people are not watching that actively on the show from Netflix? Yes. Is that so, how so, it works? So, so this is like something that we extensively practice uh, practice them um, on, on the um, Walking Dead games, and we feel that we are very good at that. So uh, what you want to, what want is to keep the game relevant at all times. So like you're gonna have a number of activities that are going in in different cadences. So like you might have like a monthly competition to see who is the top player in in a specific game mode. Then you might have a biweekly game mode that's only available for X days. Uh, then you might have a like a weekly leaderboard of of all the guilds in the game or what have you, and then maybe daily something or other. And mm-hmm. like our, our goal is not to like uh, keep a person playing at all times because that leads leads to burnout and then they just drop the game. Our goal is to keep the player like truly engaged so that they, mm. they want to keep playing not that they feel like they have to or they're going to miss out on something and uh you know um we, we, with the walking dead we got to a point where like um when a new season aired on, on the within the next 12 hours like uh, we had content from that episode in the game every single week And that was not easy to pull off, but uh, I feel mm. like fans really appreciated that, and it, and it, it helped the game feel like a like a genuine part uh, of the um, of, of the show. And I got, you know, we got access to scripts before, like as they were shooting them, so like, we could find for like opportunities, like okay, like we could build this set that they're they're gonna be covering here. Or in in some cases we would do stuff like I'm um, okay like um this is something we didn't see on the show but we, we find that this this would be interesting to know like what what did these these two characters do while they were mm. off and then we would build a mission around that and that that's what what I hope that we will continue doing in in the, in the future as well so a very tight integration with like uh, what what the fans are thinking about in in that week's show so a Big part of like the the No Man's Land live ops was always to identify like um is there a new weapon being used on on screen like we we need to have that in the game like that that's mm. what the fans are going to be expecting and um yes like uh, in in the free to play world that would then translate to like okay like what are the things that the people really want in 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 this episode and you know how can we then transform that into money in the end. Now we're not going to be cons- considering that, like working as part of Netflix, um, as we are in a post in a purchases world. <laughs> um, but but rather to you know um, keep their subscription relevant, so um, help them connect with the properties that they really want to be connected with, and um, hopefully that's then enough to keep them as as subscribers. It's super exciting to see how this kind of, as you said, post in-app purchases yes. <laughs> world is gonna mold into. Uh, we haven't seen too much of that yet, but um, I have a I have another question. So basically, uh, as you said in the beginning of the pandemic, you shift, shifted into another position uh, as an HR person. Um, 
I don't know how it is, but is it typical that the HR person still kind of follows all this kind of business details and and the cases of the productions? Like you 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 must do that by your nature of the background, but like how does it is it is it something that HR people would also do, and does it help you in your work? Uh, I feel it's, it's instrumental to the way that I, I work. Uh, it is to know like what, what the teams are going through in in, in some detail. Mm. Like I, I feel like I need to be able to predict like where possible issues might be cropping up, like HR issues. Yes, but you know, um, games are made by teams, and teams are comprised of people. And my my business is now those those people. And um, like back back when I back back before I wasn't working in HR in production, I always like to say that like the like no no matter like the, your amount of processes or plans that you have in place, your your game is gonna be the sum of the people building it, and, and mm. there, like nothing is going to change that. Like if if you have the wrong people building it, it's just not going to work. Or if those people have a bad dynamic. You, you will be able to tell it in the game and vice versa. Like if they're having a great time, that will be reflected in the game as well. Um, and uh, if anything, I, I build, you know, I believe more strongly in that these days. And uh, that, that's what I'm really focused on. But yeah, for, for me, I, I, I do need to like know what's happening in the business. And again, like that, that's um, something that I, I feel is shared across the company. Mm. And as you said, it's not terribly common to have a background like this in, in HR, but I'm not, not the only one. Like I, I met at least one other person uh, with a similar background in Finland mm-hmm. now working in HR and I, I've heard of similar cases elsewhere. And like for sure, like my Netflix counterparts, most of the people in HR have a long history of games HR specifically. And because we do believe that there is a um, a degree of separation in, in how HR works in games versus how it works uh, somewhere else. But like at the same time, I, I, I don't want to say that like um, what we're doing is somehow ex- extremely unique. Like creative work is creative work. Like um, like if you find the right sort of like um, magnification level, I'm, I'm sure most of what we're doing here could apply to a production company of any any sort um, or a software company of any sort but game, games are a in in a pretty weird um junction where um i don't know half the world is very creative and half of it is, is very technical mm. and you uh, need to find people who are capable of like um basically handling both sides yeah so I, in my own research i've been i've been kind of emphasizing how important it is to understand that games are Uh, done by people and it's teamwork and <laughs> the most of the problems are human problems in the production um so it, it is kind of super interesting idea that you are sort of now still you are still part of the production because the production is 100% humans so far well not 100% maybe there's an inkling of of ai work there mm. but but nevertheless so so it's an interesting kind of take on maybe for the future education also then how do we how do we get the people into hr positions with enough hr understanding but also production understanding and what are the tools for the people to manage people in in game development no i, I would agree um there's like also a whole um difference in in like the different um i guess you would call them uh, regions 
so um the like the Finnish way or, or like the next games way of like how we treat HR is, is I, I feel different to many other companies mm, not, not naming names but um you know we we really focus on on the people and and I, I take pride in that um, our people do come to HR when they have issues mm-hmm. and um, it, it really hurts me when I see these comments on on, on the global game dev Twitter that uh, HR is never anybody's hurt friend like they're always there only to protect the the company's interests or mm-hmm. rather to protect the company from lawsuits mm-hmm. and you know like if, if the alternatives are a lawsuit or hr then i feel like we have severely failed already mm-hmm. and, um, i'm not interested in in that that kind of work and i, I don't think there's anything to be gained there and like if a game company is, is functioning in this this way i i don't quite understand like how they can how they can get like the best best out of their people like, mm. like how, how, can you, how can you possibly like be creative in an environment where you, you where you don't have trust in your colleagues yeah you were talking about that the in 2015 that the production of uh, of your game was like roughly 400 man months which is like tons of work and sometimes really difficult to Because the game itself, it doesn't it doesn't look that <laughs> complicated, mm. um, so it's it's difficult to convey to people that don't understand game productions that it's a lot of work. Um, so it's very precious in that sense, too. I would imagine, uh, and and much more hours has been consumed after that mm. uh, since it's still running. Yeah, something that, that you hear from veterans in the in the industry often is that they're, they're like counting like how many games do they still have in them. Like they're, they're looking mm. at like the remaining career and like okay, realistically, how many games can I make in this time? Yeah. And then like what I expect like that that everybody who's like worth anything is is always asking themselves like when they're working on a game like okay like I'm going to be spending two or three years of my life on on this product mm. like is is it worth it? And um, I, I do want our people to be asking that from themselves. And if, if they don't agree, they should let somebody know and, and find something else to do. Like it, it's a, I feel a horrible thought to think at some point that I might have wasted, I don't know, five, six years of, of my life on, on a game that I don't really care about. Maybe that's just me. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird, weird thought. And again, <laughs> like the... Um, there's often discussion of um, like, like um, how the consumers should understand better how games are created. I don't know if I really agree. Like it's it's very technical. It's very hard. Like go, go make some games if you're interested, and, and you you start to learn why it's so <laughs> difficult. Um, but you know, it's just entertainment ultimately, and mm. uh, I, I don't think the fans need to understand how things are done to appreciate or not appreciate the outcome. And like uh, you know, if it doesn't speak to their emotions, um, I don't know if it matters. Like how difficult it was to create this unsatisfying entertainment product. Yeah, but then, for instance, from the HR perspective, uh, HR is also PR nowadays. If you think about that, if the production had a lot of uh, ethical issues in in the how the work was led, for instance, like you really take a pride on the stuff that people are enjoying and have a good work and life balance, but it doesn't happen everywhere. And then that can become a problem because the consumers themselves, depending on the target group, might be super uh, aware of the fact that this is not an ethical production. <laughs> They don't want to have anything to do with it. So it's an interesting trend in itself 
as yeah 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 true um like i i i guess i'm so old and cynical and having come from a marketing background that i i don't think it generally has a much of an effect on on the bottom line like we haven't seen you know ea ub rockstar sales take any kind of hit right i think that they've gone through but but certainly their reputations have like um and uh, you know that that makes it harder for them to operate in in many ways recruiting not not being the least of them so mm. uh i don't know like uh, I, i i do genuinely feel that that since we are making products that are meant to you know evoke emotions um you can't cheat your way into that so so you, you need people who want to evoke those emotions and that means that they need to more or less be feeling very good about themselves and the people that they work with and the work that they do in order to get there so yeah very very tough to see like how you, how you can cheat any of this what is going to happen in games for the next few years what's what's your personal vision in this where where are we going to Well, we are heading towards a convergence. I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, if this current console generation is the last one, but we are getting to that point. Like, um, I haven't bought any physical games for my Xbox Series X or PS5, and why would I? Like, it's it's all digital these days. Like, if my disc drives didn't work, I wouldn't know because I never used them. And um, it wasn't that many years ago, like when we were still discussing, like, okay, like is you know digital sales even going to ever happen? And uh, you know, it's just not a thing anymore. Um, I haven't also haven't bought any games because um, between Microsoft Game Pass and and PlayStation's um, equivalent, um, I have so many games available at any time. It's you know the the Netflix of, of games is is already out there, like um, mm. for less than half the price of a single game per month i have more to play than i could ever want and uh, i feel like this is a pretty significant change that is undergoing now um and then what we're going to have in a let's say maybe five years we're going to be in, in a state where i think the the single screen is is all you need and more or less everything happen happens in the cloud and then you just have a bunch of subscriptions going Obviously, Netflix wants to be one of those subscriptions, um, but um, there's going to be a very tough race to like see like uh, how much room do we have for for these in the future. And uh, ultimately, um, we're going to be fighting for anybody sitting in front of a, a in front of a screen anywhere. Mm. And like you know, some of this is already starting to work. Like uh, if if my wife is is using the TV to play something, I can just open this same computer I'm now talking to and play on my PlayStation. It it just works. And uh, you know, um, it, it's not convenient enough to be quite mainstream yet, but we are very close to that point. Mm. So that that's going to be a big thing. But I think an even bigger than like the whole technology question of, of streaming is, is going to be the whole subscription thing because that does change things substantially. So like you're, you're no longer buying game X, you're subscribing to a specific platform and then all the games that they have on there. And uh, it's just a very, very different um, from from a business point of view. And like I, I don't envy the developers these days. Like I, I would not want to be a, a mid-sized developer in, in today's climate. Like basically, if you don't manage to sell sell your game to the Microsoft or Sony subscription service, then you are in a very difficult position. Mm. 
also marketing has not been getting any easier. So the dreaded exposure is, is if anything, it's it's even worse today than it was a couple of years ago. And so we get, are we kind of going back to the times when the publisher publishers had the biggest power in deciding who plays what? Yeah, maybe. Like um, certainly, like that, the individual developer has um next to no control on like how people discover their games. They need, they need somebody with more weight mm. behind them. And then when you know you're you're part of a I don't know a Ubisoft catalog, then then they have some dozens of games that they're looking to push at the same time, but there's only room for one game per category. Mm. And that's it. So mm. like the 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 realities of like getting your product out there and and being seen are e- even more difficult. So while while at, at like a I have a background in in teaching kids to make games and um you know I love it that the tools are so good these days. But like the reality of like then going from doing something in your bedroom on your own computer to making any kind of a living here is it's just getting harder, I feel. Mm. Or at least mm. the risks are not not going down in any way. Quite mm. the opposite. Okay, so the last question of, of this kind of a chat is that how do you how do you yourself follow the industry? Where do you find the information to kind of smell the new stuff in Most the air? Twitter. So so Twitter. The, you know, a, a very carefully curated uh, selection of people who I feel know where we're going, who have interesting new ideas, some researchers, some journalists, some some developers, um, and, and then uh, very, very few websites. So whenever I feel like I might be missing like what, what's happening like on the bigger consumer side of things, it's Eurogamer. Mm. Um, but that's 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 basically it. It's mostly Twitter for me. And then you know, working in a a big game company, um, we do chat an awful lot about the industry and, and games. So generally, um, when people spot something interesting, they post it on on one of our company Slack channels, and that that's where you learn about the important developments. I love it how you kind of we are now in the new normal, so you wouldn't talk. Do you wouldn't say that? Well, talking to all of the peoples in different events on and so on and so forth, but it's very much kind of online even within the same kind of company. True. But then, you know, like now working with the um, Californians, um, we're split across, I don't know how many time zones. So it's, <laughs> it's, it, it is just rare to see very many people in, in the same space. Yeah. Like I, I see my own team, but that that's really it. Like otherwise we meet each other in, in big company events and, and yeah. um, or everything else is just, just online. Excellent. So yeah, I think that's it. Uh, there's so much more to explore, of course, in these topics, and we're gonna follow what happens in the kind of a next generation of uh, next games uh, portfolio, and uh, hopefully there will be something super exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jonas, for joining. Thank you. Mm-hmm.